0: There is a sense in which this is a petty problem.
1: I would think that any group of people who aren't prepared to allow their members, some of their members, to marry out across the frontier is uh,
2: psychologically sick. There seems to be a reluctance on the part of the churches to become involved with an interchurch couple. Either they are embarrassed by their existence or they are completely unsure of how they should treat these couples
3: couples uh, find or feel that uh, the laws are outdated and they do find problems in going to see the
4: priests there are people who have suffered a great deal in the past and I think there have been a lot of casualties both to the Christian faith and also to marriage
5: A selection of some of the opinions represented at the International Consultation on Mixed Marriage held in Dublin from the 2nd to the 6th of September. Why an international meeting on mixed marriage, which is a marriage between Catholics and Protestants, or between Christians and people of other faiths? Father Michael Hurley, Director of the Irish School of Ecumenics, which sponsored and hosted the consultation, explains the significance and background of the meeting.
0: More than one person has said in the last few years that mixed marriages are the perhaps single biggest divisive issue in Irish society, both North and South, in interchurch relations, in community relations, both North and South, and perhaps in the political relations between North and South. And I think this is the main reason, because it's an area of tension. But it's an area of tension that can become a growth point I think this is the important thing, that we're not just dealing at the consultation now and the last 18 months we weren't dealing with a negative problem. We were trying to look at this hopefully and positively and I I think this is an important aspect to the work of the consultation.
5: While the mixed marriage problem is not specifically Irish, In this country it does have special features which make it more urgent and more crucial. These features are the product of history, and the early 1900s are of particular importance in understanding the present-day situation and attitudes. The arrival of the Ne Temere Decree on Mixed Marriage from Rome in 1908 strongly discouraging marriages between Catholics and Protestants and demanding promises from both parties regarding the Catholic upbringing of the children when these marriages took place carried with it the ingredients of tragedy in the religious and political spheres, as Father Hurley points out.
0: The coming of Natemre to Ireland had somehow rather seared uh, our consciences, Protestant and Catholic, and gave the impression to the Protestants all over Ireland that anything like home rule or uh, unity between a united Ireland would mean Rome rule, would be the domination of the country, by the legislation of the Roman Catholic Church.
5: The application of the Ne Temere decree in the notorious McCann case of 1911 seems to have been the last straw on the back of the political camel and led to a rejection
0: of home rule. Father Hurley again. This happened after Ne Temere, and as I understand it, um, uh, there was a, a Presbyterian and a Roman Catholic... And apparently they'd been married in the Presbyterian Church. And then um, a priest seems to have approached them and wanted them to go through uh, a form of marriage which would be in accordance with Ne Temere, namely before a Roman Catholic priest. And this apparently uh, was rejected. And so they separated, and uh, there was a great hubbub about it. And it made a great deal of in the politics of home rule at the time, about 1910. And it was mentioned in papers and mentioned in Parliament. And the idea got abroad then that ne uh, temere meant the uh, imposition of Rome rule on Ireland, on Protestants and Catholics. And uh, the McCann case seemed to give a handle to the people who were saying that if we had Home Rule, or in today's terms, if we had uh, a somehow united Ireland this would mean the domination of the Roman Catholic Church.
5: In the opinion of many, the narrow-minded spirit of ne Temere has not really disappeared from this country. However, in 1970, a new document relating to mixed marriage was issued in Rome replacing ne Temere as a legal instrument. Father John Hayes of the School of Ecumenics, who lectured at the consultation on The Nature of Marriage, outlines the main tenets of the Roman document.
6: The first one is that there is no promise is now to be demanded from the non-Roman Catholic partner uh, regarding the religious upbringing of the children. Uh, A promise is still asked of the uh, Catholic partner, but this can be written or orally, and uh, there's uh, quite a leeway for interpretation with regard to uh, how this promise is to be understood. Now, a second uh, point that was made very strongly in the motu proprio, which was a change, was that uh, interchurch marriages uh, could be recognized as valid without the canonical form. That is to say, uh, in practical terms, a Catholic and a Protestant could marry in a Protestant church before a Protestant minister without the attendance of a Catholic priest, and this marriage would be recognized as valid in the Catholic church and registered as such. Now, thirdly, a Mass could now be celebrated at the uh, wedding of a Catholic and a Protestant, where that wedding, of course, took place in the Catholic Church. Now, fourthly, there was an instruction given out that new regulations uh, should be uh, devised by the bishops' councils to make the general principles outlined in the mode appropriate uh, appropriate to the uh, individual national situation
5: interpretation and application of this document was left to national hierarchies, but Father Hayes had
6: this to say of the Irish approach. The Irish interpretation has been disappointing uh, because if one looks at uh, other national hierarchies all around the world, they took very seriously the um, mandate given them by the motu proprio to devise a set of regulations uh, which would... um, bring this whole matter down and make it practical and living in the national situations. The only thing we've had from the Irish hierarchy on this is a a set of general principles which was uh, published in 1970 and covered about three quarters of a page, if I remember correctly. In general, um, it. Had took the tendency that uh, the general the bishops would individual bishops in the country would interpret the motto proprio according to their own uh, interpretation and indeed that is what has happened in Ireland in the Archdiocese of Dublin. Uh, the motto proprio is being interpreted uh, liberally and in a very full sense, and in fact, of course most of the mixed marriages in the country are taking place in Dublin. And uh, this must be said, I suppose, in defence of the of the other bishops, that they simply do not come up with the situation quite so often as they do in Dublin. But in Dublin, uh, the, the mode appropriate is followed out faithfully and liberally, and uh, there's a, quite a good ecumenical situation here. In Outs- other parts of the country, one hears horror stories from uh, various uh, dioceses, uh, which, in which, in my view, uh, certain bishops are acting certainly... Uh, Outside the, um, the re- outside the uh, provisions that uh, are
0: now allowed by the moda proprio.
5: Father Hurley views the Irish interpretation as follows.
0: It certainly seems to be true that in certain parts of this country, but not everywhere in this country, that the attitude to mixed marriages now is pre nineteen seventy. That is not really what. Um, the Vatican um, laid down in 1970 but I would want to emphasize that this is not true universally throughout Ireland that there are real exceptions to it uh, and in some dioceses um, the bishop is quite uh, understanding of the situation and dispensations from canonical form namely permission to to be married in a church of Ireland church or a Presbyterian or Methodist church is readily given for good reasons and indeed the whole matter of the promises is being dealt with in a very Christian way.
5: An opinion from outside Ireland on the Irish Bishop's interpretation was provided by Father Adrian Hastings, a tutor at Selly College Birmingham, who spoke at the consultation on interfaith and interchurch marriages.
1: It would seem to me at present that Uh, Ireland is one of those parts of the Catholic world where there has been least change, at least on a part of authority, where there has been a refusal to recognise the dangerous uh, effect of a very rigid, endogamous marriage pattern, even though Ireland is one of those parts of the world which has suffered most from precisely this sort of a policy.
5: Professor John Barclay a Presbyterian pastor and professor of church history and symbolics at Queen's University, presents a northern view of the Irish bishop's interpretation.
7: May I say that I think the motu proprio left room for quite a liberal interpretation. Of course, there were still some restrictions. And I think also that we are tied up with our history here because most of the restrictions in the Church of Rome uh, I think rose out of a pastoral concern and have now become juridical and legal. In other words the structure instead of serving the pastoral end has become something that is fettering the pastoral end. One of the papers here this week points out that the papacy asked for rules and regulations to be drawn up by the hierarchies in different countries as to how they were going to, uh, and guidelines. Now, the paper stated, you see, that the Irish hierarchy have not as yet done this. Now, I wish they would, even though they're not as liberal as I would like to see them, because uh, it would mean that you hadn't one practice in one diocese, a different practice in another diocese, and so on and so forth. But I must confess that I do not believe that the Irish hierarchy have been anywhere near so liberal as they might have been.
5: So representative opinion in Southern Ireland, in Northern Ireland and overseas would seem to register dissatisfaction with the line taken by the Irish bishops on the Roman document. Father Michael Hurley sees their interpretation as being reminiscent of pre-Vatican two days and states what he thinks are the reasons for their interpretation.
0: Up to the time of the Second Vatican Council, the Roman Catholic Church was not involved officially in the ecumenical movement. The ecumenical movement was something for the other churches, but some individual Roman Catholics were involved in it. But as a church, we weren't officially involved in it. And our attitude, therefore, to mixed marriages in the past is a perfect expression of our pre-ecumenical Uh, Attitudes, the pre-ecumenical stage in our history.
5: He also sees a certain lack of urgency on the part of the Roman Catholic authorities as being a contributory factor.
0: It's a reflection of the lack of urgency on the part of Roman Catholic authorities with regard to ecumenism in general. Uh, One doesn't get the impression, I don't get the impression, that they really feel this problem is of uh, great urgency. I mean, ecumenism in general and that they don't feel that the problem of mixed marriage, of inter-church marriage, is of top priority. The reason is probably our majority position as Roman Catholics, uh, the fact that we are the majority, and therefore it doesn't touch us. And then in the north, the incidence of mixed marriages is, is relatively low, and therefore it doesn't impinge on um, bishops and priests as much as it does in the south, and in the South, then, the um, fact that Protestants speak so much uh, in demographic terms, I think uh, very often isn't helpful. So much for the legislation.
5: What of its effects on the lives of people? Professor Barclay of Northern Ireland presents his view.
7: One of the things that I regard to be wee bit tragic is that people have come to me, uh, Roman Catholic girls, and said, I'm marrying a Protestant boy and then what we're emigrating. And I think this is very sad, and a reflection on both communities that we're losing good young people.
5: Mrs Sean Hogan, a Presbyterian from Northern Ireland and married to a Catholic from Dublin, corroborates the view of Professor Barclay on couples having to emigrate.
2: I think this is the case for many couples in the north of Ireland. We have heard recently of several couples who have either gone to live in England or have gone further afield because of the complete frustration they have felt with the whole situation in the north of Ireland, highlighted, of course, by the fact that they just don't fit in to either community.
5: She also touched on some of the more regrettable aspects of inter-church marriages.
2: Many couples have had dreadful problems, creating intense unhappiness and, and indeed, intense bitterness. Unfortunately the problems begin with the families. Uh, many of the families resent the fact that their child is going to leave or move from the traditional setup in in Ireland which in fact seems to us to have two cultures. And these parents fulfill this resentment in completely ostracizing the child from the family circle. So that with this often the child, who is in fact an adult, and his or her partner, then discover that the church is also perhaps going to ostracize them. And the combination of this, in fact, leads to a great unhappiness, and whereas the union of a couple who declare their love should be one of intense happiness, it becomes one of complete frustration and unhappiness.
5: Father Adrian Hastings takes a rather critical view of the Church's policy and gives a reason for it.
1: Marriage is one of the ways in which divisions are overcome. The danger, really, in society is not to have some divisions, but to let those divisions become absolute and to let them be destructive. And I think that the Church's marriage regulations have... Absolutized the divisions that we have in society because of our religious differences too much to at the expense of people who in fact should be supported rather than harmed.
5: The political implications of church legislation on mixed marriages were spelled out at the consultation by the Minister for Foreign Affairs, Dr. Garrett Fitzgerald he posed the question as to whether the religious barrier to interchurch marriage is not to some degree responsible for the present division of the community in Northern Ireland and for the mutual antipathy of Roman Catholic and Protestant sections of the community. One cannot but give a positive answer to Dr Fitzgerald's question when one considers the function of marriage in society as explained by Father Hastings.
1: Now there is a constant tendency in the part of any group of people, to try to marry, to insist upon marrying only endogamously. That is to say, inside the group. But where you have a pattern in which any marriage which is bridging a frontier, crossing a frontier, is rejected or condemned, uh, you are going to get a socially dangerous situation. And I would think that any group of people who aren't prepared to allow their members, some of their mem- members, to marry out across the frontier is uh, psychologically sick to some extent because this is really one of the functions of marriage to link groups of people together. We cannot just look on ma- on Regulations for marriage as being the way a ways of protecting people inside a group, rather we have to see what is the purpose of marriage itself, the social purpose. Marriage is a covenant, but it's not just a covenant between two people, but a covenant between two groups of people who are related in each marriage, and it's very important for the health of any society that. Where there are frontiers, divisions, tensions between various groups of people, uh, there are marriages which, linking those two groups, lessen the tension.
5: Another contribution to this idea is made by Father John Hayes, who sees interchurch marriage as a powerful instrument of reconciliation in an Irish context.
6: Now, we also know that um, if that we have a, a very a conflicted situation between the Protestants and the Catholics in this country. And uh, one has to wonder if the main instrument of reconciliation, in my view, would, uh, in the long view, obviously, is marriage between the two groups. And, but it would seem that the churches are hindering uh, the fostering of this kind of marriage rather than uh, promoting the, it.
5: Father Hayes also referred to the social pressure generated by church policy
6: and has definite views as to what the procedure ought to be the normal pastor, today, uh, you say in Ireland, is finding himself confronted with many young couples who uh, no longer profess Christian belief, but are uh, coming to the church for marriage simply because of social pressures, family pressures, parental pressures, or because the church is the nice, nice place to have their uh, marriage performed in. And uh, this is a, a very unsatisfactory situation. One has to look at oneself and see why is the church involved in this marriage of people who do not proclaim themselves to be Christians and uh, one has to begin to rethink the whole matter and uh, uh, see if one can um, come forward with some better ideas and the better ideas from my point of view are that if marriage is primarily a human reality between these two persons uh, if they are Christians then they can come to the church and that makes sense but otherwise let them go to the civil authority and have their marriage done under the normal contractual regulations prescribed by the state.
5: Another angle on the implications of Roman Catholic mixed marriage legislation for Irish society was whether, in fact, this legislation contributed to the erosion of the Protestant population in the Republic, which is taking place at a rate of approximately 25% per generation, or about 1% per annum. Mr John Fulton, lecturer in the Sociology of Religion at the Irish School of Ecumenics, proffered the view that, even with a change in legislation, the situation would remain much the same and gives the following explanation.
3: Even if the the Roman Catholic legislation on uh, the education of the children was in fact removed, as is quite possible in the future, it would still remain that, uh, given the cultural background, that the children would probably tend to be brought up as as uh, Roman Catholics if the mother is Roman Catholic and so two-thirds of the marriages might tend to go that way unless uh, something else
5: counterbalance this. The mixed marriage situation, however, is not all problems. Father Martin Reardon, an Anglican priest married to a Catholic, views the difficulties of a mixed marriage not so much as problems but as opportunities and goes even further.
4: Certainly from my own experience that one has much Of great value to learn from the religious tradition of one's partner. One of the important things um, which most people who are not Roman Catholics have to learn from the Catholic Church is its universality. It is all across the world and um, also the great sacramental stress of, of the Catholic Church. I think what Catholics on the whole have to learn from other churches, particularly free churches, is the important role which these churches give to lay people and the fact that they are not just dominated by the clergy, but the lay people are just as much a part of the church as the clergy.
5: The benefits of a mixed marriage were also explained by Mrs. Sean Hogan, a Presbyterian married to a Catholic.
2: We find that our methods of worship in fact are complementary and not com- in conflict. This enriches our Christian experience and if we could share this with other couples, not only the interchurch couple, we feel that this would broaden the whole aspect of many people's Christian view. Uh, we both attend both the churches. It is important that we go together and that we go to both. We do not attend both on the same day for practical reasons, and with the child it is the case, in fact, that the availability of a creche in the Presbyterian Church facilitates our position at the moment. But we do attend both churches, and as I said, the emphasis on the scriptural worship in the Presbyterian Church is very adequately balanced by the emphasis on the sacrifice of the living God in the Catholic Mass. And these two provide a very complete form of worship for us.
5: Perhaps the main ecclesiastical hurdle which interchurch couples have had to negotiate is the question of promises. Formerly, the Roman Catholic Church expected both parties to promise, among other things, that they would bring up all their children as Catholics. Most, if not all, other churches took exception to this. Church of Ireland authorities usually refused permission to their clergy to attend a wedding in a Roman Catholic church when any promise whatsoever had been made. This is the view of Professor John Barclay, a Presbyterian.
7: Demanding a promise is to treat a man as less than a man, a woman as less than a woman. It uh, denies their integrity, their, indig- their dignity it denies their conscience, and it may be that in two or three years' time they would look at things differently, having lived together, from the way they look at things at that particular moment. Now, as a person who believes that the truth of Christ will prevail, I felt, always felt personally, that I could depend on the Holy Spirit to lead these people to do what was right and proper, rather than, as it were, building a wall, creating a difference between them, making them, in a sense, give their heritage away as a condition of marrying them at all.
5: This, in fact, did happen in the case of Mrs Hogan.
2: Unfortunately, once again, now, Sean says, that he would not indeed make this undertaking, as he feels that it is not a mature step for the Church to require of its members, and that in fact it is a complete negation of the other partner's function in the marriage. Well, there have been suggestions that perhaps the other partner can be requested by his or her Church to make a similar undertaking, but we feel that if this was the case, then there is no need for either partner to make an undertaking that they should be if they wish to be married in a church they are obviously um, indicating that they are practicing christians and in this light they ought to be considered as responsible adults who will do what they feel in the light of this what is best for their family the birth of our son highlighted the whole issue because then I realised how important a child is to its mother and it wasn't just theory, it was there, the child was before me and it wasn't a reaction of um, anger or resentment it was in fact a feeling of complete frustration because I felt that the Roman Catholic Church did not seem to really understand the feelings of both parents towards their child and the equal status that they must have in a marriage towards that child's future. I felt that for the child, in our situation, we should best provide for it a fuller, say interdenominational upbringing, so that if it so wished, it could make a choice. And we did not feel that it was up to us to make such a decision, but that we had this unique opportunity of providing for the child a complete scope in the Christian tradition, and if he so wished, then in the future he had the unique opportunity also of either choosing or not choosing as he so wished.
5: Somewhat the same view is shared by Father Martin Reardon of the Anglican Church.
4: I wasn't happy about making the promise myself, um, because um, as um, someone with Irish ancestry, um, this is what we were talking about just now. um, The problems facing um, people getting married, and I think, you know, one of the greatest problems is in fact um, the psychological problem for the couple themselves. They may very well be um, extremely um, bigoted and prejudiced themselves against the church of their partner, and obviously they have to work this through before they can come to any sort of happy arrangement. And I think it's one of the saddest things, and I'm afraid we've met it among some couples, that um, they reach a stage in which they just can't talk about religion together without quarrelling, and so they don't talk about it. I didn't feel that I could make any um, absolute promise about the upbringing of the children. I wanted the children to be brought up as Anglicans, and I didn't feel that I could in conscience promise anything else. And so what I did was that I put down on paper considerable length what I felt and believed about it. And this was sent to the Roman Catholic Bishop. And I think much to our, both the surprise, both of my fiance and myself, this was accepted in lieu of a promise. I think there is some value in the presentation of the partners with their responsibility for the upbringing of their children before they get married. I don't think this ought to be in the form of a written or even necessarily in in the form of a spoken promise, but I think it is um, something to be said for the Roman Catholic position as it stands at the moment. That the couple are faced with the fact that they have the responsibility of bringing up their children as Christians, and what are they going to do about it? Um, that it is only in fact faced—that uh, that, that this is only faced by interchurch or mixed couples—seems to me to be obviously wrong. I mean, every Christian should be faced with this possible with this responsibility before they're married.
5: While the 1970 Roman Catholic legislation does not require promises from the Protestant partner, but only from the Catholic, Father Adrian Hastings is of the view that the decision really belongs to the couple.
1: I don't think that uh, a church or society should be laying down very rigid conditions and rules for this kind of marriage or other kinds of marriage. So what I uh, very much hope for is a relaxation of rule and acceptance that these marriages not only will happen but are desirable and necessary but that then you respect the integrity and the freedom of the couple united in that marriage. After all, we're saying that by marriage two become one flesh; they are one, and there dis- the decisions, the pattern, for instance, the question as to how the children are to be brought up, how they are to be, where they are to be baptised, what church they are to belong to. Uh, these are important moral and religious decisions, but they must be made by the couple which has entered in to this marriage, and I don't think they can be made on by rule of thumb, laid down by one church or other.
5: There seems to be a considerable ferment of ideas bubbling merrily today, which is providing the impetus for change, not only in attitude to mixed marriage, but also in legislation. It is helping as well to put the problem in perspective. Father Hastings explains what some of these ideas are.
1: One is certainly a, a deeper appreciation of marriage as an interpersonal uh, reality in which in a very special way clearly the union of christ and the church uh, is manifested and sacramentalized this is precisely not through the canonical relationship but precisely through and in the human relationship. It is there that the sacrament is to be found in the degree and the depth of the personal relationship and love uh, which is experienced. And truly, if this isn't there, one can then indeed ask, Is a marriage there at all? I think what we are realising is that marriage is not, as we imagined, a largely canonical thing, but a human thing, which of course should be obvious. But I think Catholic theology has been so tied up by canon law and the canonical validity or invalidity that we have failed to realise that marriages finally are not valid because of canon law they are valid in human terms or invalid in human terms and with this goes a realisation that in some ways it's dangerous to talk about Christian marriage marriage is a human reality and we have to accept it in the terms of human society with Doubtless, a considerable diversity of pattern according to the different sort of society uh, in which it is to be found. Marriage is there. Grace comes to nature, and certainly the grace of the gospel, the grace of giving, of living Christian life, enables us. We hope to perfect this human and natural reality but the danger is to forget where it is and to make of it a church reality Uh, I think that much of our trouble has uh, in the past has stemmed from forgetting the natural character of marriage it is this which is primary and this which must not be obscured by canon law which has become so complicated and to some extent so clerical in its control of marriage that it has enabled us to forget the basic human natural realities. Now, I think it is sure that modern theology is particularly uh, turning back to the real source and nature of what marriage is.
5: Father John Hayes makes the point that the Church is over-involved in marriage.
6: Marriage is a human reality essentially, a reality between the two persons involved and that any Church involvement is secondary to that primary involvement of the couple involved. Uh, For historical reasons uh, some of them which are no longer applicable, for example because of the problem of clandestine marriages at the time of the Council of Trent uh, the Church has got very involved in the whole business of marriage and uh, It's obvious, I think, from many strains and pressures, not least with regard to mixed marriages, that uh, this is uh, no longer uh, feasible and that we have to take a new look at the involvement of the church in marriage.
5: Taking a new look at what church, particularly Catholic Church, means is another factor contributing to the change in attitude, according to Father Michael Hurley.
0: We had the Second Vatican Council and its constitution on the church told us that the other churches not in communion with Rome were in some way, to some extent, also churches. We know that members of the other churches belong now to the church in some way. This is a revolutionary move uh, move on the part of the Roman Catholic Church, and we are searching to find what is the right expression of that doctrinal change by the Second Vatican Council, what is its right expression in the context of a mixed marriage? Take, for instance, the point about educating um, the children in the having them baptised and educated in the Catholic Church. Um, now, everything depends on where the Catholic Church is. Now, if you follow Vatican II and say that the Church is not only in the Roman Catholic Church, but that the Church is also, in some way, in the Orthodox Church, in the Anglican Church, well then, this promise, this undertaking, uh, is not at all the ghastly thing. It's represented to be at, uh, at present, because it means that the very meaning of the promise now is, I'll do my best to see that my child is brought up part of the church belonging to the church in the roman catholic church if this is possible but certainly in one of the expressions of christ church here on earth
5: perhaps one factor in the theological climate today which is helping to put the problem of mixed marriage into perspective is recent thinking on divorce father hayes uh,
6: i would uh... um a divorce so called some sort of uh, civil um, Device by which uh, the separation, the ultimate separation of this pair, uh, the irreconcilability of their situation is recognized and in which they're given a chance to uh, live a new life. Obviously, there's all sorts of problems uh, involved here. There's uh, problems of justice with regard to the children. There's problems of creating a moral atmosphere in which uh, this uh, uh, divorce becomes an easy way out when people should rather confront their situations and uh, try and work them out together but there are obviously situations where there's ultimate breakdown and it seems to me that the present legislation civic legislation uh, at the present time is uh, is perhaps punitive on uh, to towards people and again <coughs> if one may come to the catholic church we have for example decrees of nullity now uh, given uh, rather routinely um, uh, even in cases where um, the marriage uh, was in ga- was in Engaged in by people perhaps at too young an age. And uh, there's, a, there's a, quite a strong um, conflict at the moment between um, civic legislation in this country and church legislation, because church legislation in this matter is um, somewhat more um, lenient. A further
5: clarification on this question is added by Father Hastings.
1: I don't think the church can countenance divorce. The church is committed to a sense of marriage as a personal relationship entered into for life. Now I don't think that that will or can change and I don't think that fidelity to the clear teaching of Jesus Christ would allow it to change. But the question is when does that relationship really exist and what happens if Through human failure and weakness, there has been a total breakdown of such a marriage. Now, this is quite a different question. It's not saying that we countenance a terminable marriage, but what do you do for someone, or what can someone do if such a marriage has wholly come to an end? Now, the fact is that the Church does accept that true marriage can so come to an end for one reason or another that a second marriage is possible in the lifetime of the original partners. The church the Roman Catholic Church has always accepted this with regard to marriages other than between Christians. And yet these are true marriages. Now whether there is something in the nature of marriage when it is entered into by Christians which wholly rules out what is otherwise the case for marriage is I think questionable because precisely the very strong teaching of Jesus condemning divorce was not about Christian marriage but about marriage as such marriage as such is indissoluble and yet paradoxical as it may be the Catholic Church has accepted that marriage as such can so come to an end that a second marriage is possible now if that is possible for marriage as such it is not clear that in principle it isn't possible for Christians uh, when they have been married in fact the Church has even accepted it for a Christian if he's married to a non-Christian in a true marriage Now, uh, I think it's probably here that without, in fact, going back on our essential vision that marriage of its nature is a relationship for life, uh, we are still, in the tradition of uh, a Roman Catholic understanding over the centuries of marriage, uh, able to come to a position in which we do countenance that, in some cases, A Christian whose marriage has wholly broken down and a Catholic is able to marry a second time.
5: To what extent is this thinking representative of clergy who are dealing with mixed marriages? Mr John Fulton presented to the consultation a perspective of mixed marriage in Dublin based on a survey of attitudes of 50 Roman Catholic priests in the Dublin Archdiocese. He found that...
3: Priests on the whole were very happy to see the end of the old sacristy weddings, uh, which went out in the 60s. They, they they had found them an embarrassment. They found that uh, uh, they weren't helpful in any way. But despite this common base of agreement, the clergy tended to split up, one could say, into two groups, some who were less favorably disposed towards uh, mixed marriages, and others who had a more positive approach. The main thing that seemed to run through opposition though one must remember that by saying opposition they weren't saying oh we mustn't let it happen or anything like that they accepted the fact but they they felt that it was better if roman catholics married roman catholics and so on and so forth the main principle that uh, united them all together was the idea that the roman catholic church is the one true church it possesses the true faith and this faith is a possession which is the most treasured possession of roman catholics And anything which waters down this faith uh, or waters down the possession of this faith is a threat to it, a threat to uh, authentic Christian commitment. One could say the approach to intermarriage of this uh, section of the clergy illuminated the priest's own approach to the Roman Catholic faith. Whereas those who had a more positive evaluation of intermarriage tended to evaluate the Roman Catholic faith also differently. It was no longer a possession, something which was a most treasured possession, but faith uh, found its expression in life. And it was also a discovery, one which uh, one discovered in one's pastoral activities, uh, in the sense that it was much more of a dialogue with the people and the, and the world around them, and they interpreted their Roman Catholicism as they went along. They numbered most of, among, among them, were those who had close experience of intermarriage within their own family situation. Some of them had close relatives to whom they had been very close at the time when they were getting married, and this had tended to change their opinion and attitude towards it. Also, a number of them had overseas experience and they had uh, experienced a different way of dealing with intermarriages in different countries than is dealt with here in Ireland, uh, where there is a certain encouragement to couples, they are followed up, and so on. Uh, And there's a different orientation in the pastoral practice of the clergy. In Canada, for example, there will be a different practice. On the continent, there will be a different practice. In England, uh, there's a different practice, and so on. These are just examples. Now, they... Had begun their pastoral work with a similar approach to the former group. They had the same theological training, more or less. They had more or less the same ideas when they started out. But they had often changed their views in the light of the subsequent experience. They felt there was something wrong with a situation in which uh, those who were less committed could get off with a dispensation much more easily than those who were more committed. Because the more committed a Protestant was, the more difficult it was to get a dispensation. They felt there was something wrong with this, and this uh, raised the question for them. uh, What was the way uh, to go about uh, treating this phenomenon intermarriage, which was growing increasingly around them? Uh, They tended to disapprove of the Church's official position in the matter, though they were also quick to point out that here in Dublin there was a steady liberalisation Uh, in these in these matters now I came to the conclusion that these different attitudes uh, which the clergy had towards intermarriage were due to different ways in which certain cultural horizons to use uh, a heavy phrase uh, were interpreted there was the traditional Irish Roman Catholic culture and the way it has developed over the past centuries The divisions which exist between Catholics and Protestants in this island, and everything that goes with it, all the history that goes with it. This was something there which we can't get away from and we must accept that it is there. But it was the way that this was interpreted, plus the way the church as a legislator was interpreted, because the priest comes upon intermarriage with his cultural background on the one hand, Irish Roman Catholic culture, and he also comes to it with the Church's interpretation, which he has to apply. And he's told that uh, uh, the Church teaches that um, a dispensation is necessary, that uh, we mustn't encourage intermarriages, and so on. And these are all elements which come together, uh, which form a background against which the priest has to act. And it was the way in which this background was interpreted that distinguished, tended to distinguish the clergy into uh, one group and another, or tending towards one polarity and another. There's a dissatisfaction with the handling of intermarriage, in a sense. Uh, Satisfactory for the first group of priests I mentioned, dissatisfactory for the second group of priests I mentioned. But this second group of priests don't exactly know where to go from here. They don't exactly know the way we should now go about it because there's one problem which troubles all the priests and that is the growing number of marriages, be they intermarriages or otherwise, who are really not concerned with the faith at all, who are not concerned with Christianity. And this is a great worry, what the clergy refer to as indifferentism, And... uh, some clergy see intermarriage as uh, a tendency towards growing indifferentism in, in, in the church others do not see it in those terms but don't know exactly in what terms to see it, hence they need clarification from the church in these matters um, we did ask questions about uh, what we could call the pastoral care of an inter-church marriage most of the clergy admitted that uh, they rarely followed up the intermarried couples, that there was one main reason, and uh, this must be stressed, that very often the people who came to them to get married moved away from their area. Not only very often were the priests changed from parish to parish, and so there was no possibility of them following it up, but they themselves moved from area... Uh, the, the, the couples themselves uh, would marry in their mother's, uh, mother and father, the parents' uh, church, parish, and then they themselves would move off to another area in Dublin. And there was a breakdown here. There, there was no passing of pastoral responsibility from one group to another. And this would suggest that something should be organised on a diocesan basis to to, um, to to follow them up. It is noticeable, however, that those priests who were most concerned for the intermarried couples, uh, who had a more positive uh, attitude towards them, these tended to follow them up in any case and would occasionally go to visit them even if they they were in another part of Dublin. They would go to visit them to see how they were getting on. Another thing in this respect that was was useful to note was that uh, the clergy mentioned that by and large the Intermarried couples who were living in their own parish were what they call good-practicing Christians, which raises the question of whether, in fact, religious indifference is a consequence of intermarriage.
5: The pastoral care of couples in a mixed-marriage situation was a point that arose again and again throughout the consultation. The general consensus seems to have been that the pastoral care of such couples by clergy is either non-existent or very poor, which partly explains the reason for an organisation called the Association of Interchurch Families. Mrs. Sean Hogan, its honorary secretary, tells us of its background and growth.
2: The association as it is now has been in existence for approximately 18 months. It originated out of a movement by some interchurch couples towards a a reform of the adoption laws. I think, as everybody by now knows, the adoption laws, in fact, stated that an interchurch couple may not adopt. This, of course, was felt to be very unjust, and many couples decided that they would have to try and lobby Parliament in order to try and rectify this situation. The group that began the Adoption Reform Society worked very hard and in fact we feel has have compre- contributed much to the present attempt to try and rectify the law. We do not feel that it is entirely satisfactory. This need for change was seen to be in many areas and, as I said, about 18 months ago they decided to broaden their interests to cover all problems in interchurch situation and so the association, as it is now, was set up we have been fairly active since that in trying to educate ourselves about our rights, about the laws of the church, and about how we can in fact help each other. At the start we had many group meetings in various homes where people aired their frustrations, their antagonisms, and their desperate need for some kind of communication with those people who understood and appreciated their predicament. We have since had a series of talks and lectures whereby we tried to cover and in some detail reveal the situation as it stands as regards education, adoption and church law.
5: Emerging from the week's deliberations were a number of proposals which, if implemented by church authorities in Ireland, would not only contribute to the level of ecumenical maturity in the country, but also to peace. Father Michael Hurley explains what these proposals are.
0: We put on record then how we had come to appreciate the really Christian reality of a marriage between a Catholic and a Protestant or a Catholic and an Orthodox and how it can help the two people and enrich them, even though they they belong to two different churches. And how it can help the churches to which the two people belong. And in helping the churches to which the two people belong, how it can help the whole of society. And in the Irish context, how it can bring the uh, Irish people as a whole together in the north or in the south, and people uh, living either in the north or south, then some of the participants would have liked all legislation to be abolished in in the matter of the upbringing of the children. But the consultation wanted to put on record, above all, its um, recognition of the advance that had been brought about by the instruction of the Holy See uh, uh, of 1970. We wanted to bring out, above all, that the addition of the phrase... To do all in his power in the undertaking or promise to be given by the Roman Catholic part, uh, partner was not uh, a promise to that he would have his children, in point of fact, brought up as Roman Catholics. That he would do all he could, insofar as his conscience allowed, and insofar as the concrete possibilities of his home and his own situation allowed him. We want to stress that both partners have the duty and a duty in conscience. To advance and towards joint decisions all the time about the religious upbringing of the children, these joint decisions are decisions which both partners can conscientiously cooperate in fulfilling. We put on record again then the um, the impression that had been made on us at the second public session of the consultation, when uh, we had um, two presentations by two uh, intermarried couples an Anglican and Roman Catholic and uh, from England and a Presbyterian and a Roman Catholic from Ireland. and We said in our conclusions then that it was of particular significance that many parents do find themselves able in point of fact to bring up their children within both their churches. That statement is a reflection of what we learned from listening to these two interchurch couples and we, we hoped that this would be developed more and more. With regard to the celebration of marriage, we thought that the churches had an awful lot to learn from the uh, relations between the Eastern uh, churches and Rome. But we ended up, of course, by saying that there should be effective commitment to joint pastoral care by the ministers of the churches involved before the wedding and during the wedding and after the wedding, and this was a matter of great urgency.
5: And the final word goes to Mrs Sean Hogan, who expresses the feelings of most people involved in the problem of mixed marriage in Ireland. Addressing herself to church authorities, she says...
2: We don't ask for a complete upheaval of the Christian set We do ask, though, for just a little understanding so that we can, in fact, fit into the Christian set in Ireland with a little bit more ease...